0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, Nats fans, welcome to the second homestand and one of the longest homestands of the season. Walters is a great spot to meet up with friends and grab a bite to eat before any Nats game.
1: This week, Walters has added pulled pork croquettes to the menu, a great appetizer to share with friends over a bucket of old-time lager.
2: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Three balls, two strikes, Bell off second. Hernandez leads from first, the pitch. Swing and a ground ball up the middle. It is past the diving. Chisholm base hits center field. Bell trying to score. Sanchez fires home on one hop to slide. The tag is in time for the out. Bell tagged out by Stallings trying to elude it going to the back corner of home plate and Jesus Sanchez guns down Bell for the second out of the inning three infielders on the left Aguilar alone on the right the 1-1 swing a line drive base hit right field and the stop sign is up but Hernandez runs through it the throw home, the slide, the tag and he is out at the plate Avisail Garcia throws out Yadiel Hernandez at the plate and so out number two and number
0: three at home plate here in the fourth inning. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, April 27, 2022, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of Massinsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. So it was on Tuesday, April 19th, that the Nationals swept a doubleheader against the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park. That doubleheader sweep improved the Nats to six and seven. This season, Uh, you felt halfway decent about at least the start to the season for the Nats. Well, Tuesday, April 19th right now feels like it happened about 10 months ago because the Nats haven't won a game since that doubleheader sweep. And it was on Tuesday night, April 26th, that the Nats lost a sixth consecutive game, a 5-2 loss to the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park in game one of a three-game series. So the Nats now have lost six consecutive games. The Nats this season now are just 6-13. and 13. The Nats have the second-worst run differential in the majors at minus 41. Many years ago on Seinfeld, Mark, it was said that Tuesday has no feel. I know this. Tuesday, April 26, felt a lot different than Tuesday, April nineteenth.
1: You are right, Al. That's a big difference from week to week. And while Tuesdays in general may have no feel, a Tuesday night against the Marlins is about as bad as it feels around here right now especially when you lose that game and you know you said six straight losses they've scored 13 runs in those six games that's not going to work that's just not going to cut it and i'm not saying the pitching staff has been excellent there have obviously been some issues and in this game there was one just kind of catastrophic mistake by josiah gray otherwise was fantastic but when you don't even give yourself a chance when you score 13 runs in six games How many can you realistically expect to win? And I don't think either of us saw this part of it coming. I think we thought they'd be in some higher scoring games than this. I don't think we were counting on two runs a game from this lineup. And maybe it will change. It's a long way for it to go. But right now, they are just not hitting at all. And the one opportunity they gave themselves in this game, they blew it with base running.
0: They did. You know, you take a step back. So the Nats, over their 19 games this season, have scored 64 runs. It's even worse, though, than that because the Nats had that 11-2 win at the Atlanta Braves earlier this season. So in the Nats' other 18 games this season, the team has totaled 53 runs. That works out to 2.94 runs per game. So if you take out the outlier, that 11-run performance against the Braves, The Nats are averaging less than three runs per game. Is that good enough? Now, the starting pitching certainly has not been good enough. The bullpen is overworked. We've talked about all these things. But, geez, this offense is doing next to nothing. And to your point, on Tuesday night, the offense at least was in position to do some things, even though this was another game in which it was a parade of singles. Nats had eight hits, a double, and seven singles. And the Nats, I mean, you want to talk about running yourself out of an inning, That's absolutely what ended up happening in a one-run fourth inning that should have been so much more. Two Nats getting thrown out at home plate in the bottom of the fourth, Josh Bell and Yadiel Hernandez. So Josh Bell did play on Tuesday night. You know, you could argue that in and of itself was a victory, him coming back. From a one game absence caused by right hamstring tightness, but Bell is hurting right now. That's as clear as can be. Dealing with the right hamstring, dealing with the left knee. Bell in this Nats one run fourth drew a one out five pitch walk, but he got thrown out at home by the Marlins center fielder, Jesus Sanchez, who has some arm, by the way. This kind of snuck up on me. I didn't realize this guy was Clemente out there. But Bell was trying to score on a K. Beret Ruiz two out full count single up the middle ends up being gunned down at home. He did not look right to me anyway, running toward home plate. And then the more egregious out at home comes in for the final out of the inning. Yadiel Hernandez in that one-run fourth did have a one-out first-pitch RBI single up the middle to cut the Nats deficit to 3-1, but Yadiel got thrown out at home by Marlins right fielder Abisail Garcia for the third out in trying to score from second base on a Michael Franco two-out single to right And what stood out about this, more than anything, Yadiel ran through the stop sign of Nat's third base coach, Gary DeSarcina. And watching the game on TV, we couldn't see Yadiel do that live, but we saw the replay. It's not like this was a last second stop sign that was put up by DeSarcina, okay? This was very clear. And Yadiel, and I don't know what he was thinking, he ran through that thing with no apologies, with no hesitation. And you do that, you better be safe. And he was out. I know you talked to Davey Martinez about this after the game. What did he have to say? And what did you think about that Nats base running in that fourth inning?
1: We also talked to Yadiel Hernandez and we talked to Josh Bell. So we got everybody's take on this. We didn't talk to Gary DeJarcina, but I think we have a sense of how this all worked out. So let's start with the last one, the Yadiel one. You are right. He ran straight through a clear and obvious stop sign. I know some maybe were questioning that could there have been a deke there that he was actually subtly signaling for him to go? No, he was holding him. There was no shenanigans going on there. That was a straight hold at third. Yadiel completely missed it. He said that with two outs, he's just thinking I'm scoring no matter what. And it wasn't until he was well past there that even occurred to him that he might have blown through a stop sign. And at the end of the play, he went over and talked to DeSarcin and asked him, did you have the stop sign up? And he told him yes, and he felt really bad about that, that he missed it. But it was a close play. I'll give him that. And they reviewed it, both for the tag at the plate and to see if maybe the catcher Stallings was blocking the plate. Neither was confirmed to change that call. It's just you can't do that. And you certainly can't do it on back-to-back plays like that. Yadi ran through the stop sign. So, you know, we talked to Yadi. He said he he, he thought he saw him, he didn't see him on time, and he was going, so it was close play, but all he he did run to the stop sign. The Josh Bell one, everyone, including Bell, thought it was an appropriate send because he rounds third and Sanchez doesn't even have the ball yet. So you know, typically you'd say if the outfielder has the ball in hand, you hold him. If he's still trying to get to the ball, you wave him around. So that's fine. But... And I think this is where they have to consider the situation and the person involved. Josh Bell's not 100% right now.
4: I saw what Lisa
1: Cena saw. You know, he was, guy kind of hadn't even reached the ball yet. You know, by the time he got past third base, just, you know, Josh is not running well. So, but I saw exactly what he saw. Now he said it's the hamstring that's still bothering him a little bit. The knee is not an issue anymore. That was the first injury from, I think it was Wednesday. The hamstring was just from Sunday. So he said it is bothering him a little bit. And, He tried to give everything he had there, and he just didn't have it. And you could see him running down the third baseline. It just was not there. wasn't going to happen. But he understood and agreed with the send. I would just argue you have to know who's running. You have to know whether you actually think he is guaranteed to score that run. Because with one out, and now it's going to be bases loaded, you're taking an awfully big risk to wave him around. And so I thought that was a pretty bad send. I get philosophically why you do it. But to me, you got to be situationally understanding who it was running and know that they're not at
0: 100%. Yeah, we don't have Bob Sendley Henley to kick around anymore. So with the Yadiel Hernandez thing, I just want to be clear on this. This wasn't an instance of Yadiel essentially disrespecting Gary DeSarcina and saying, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm going. This was Yadiel just not seeing the stop sign from DeSarcina.
1: Correct. Like I said, his attitude was there's two outs base hit, I'm going to score and somehow missed it along the way and then didn't realize it until it was too late. And again, we're not talking about a couple of speedsters here (laughs) in either of these cases. So it's another reason to kind of question it. Now, maybe what you have there in the second one is, like we said, a team that's really struggling to score runs and a guy like so many others on the team are just trying to do whatever they can to make it happen. And that's the worst thing you can do. You can't force the issue. You can't Force runs that aren't there for the taking. You can say, well, you hold him at third, and now you're relying on Alcides Escobar with two outs of drive in the run, and maybe that won't happen. That's fine, but it was clear that he was being held up. You've got to be situationally aware. Your job as a runner, you get a good jump, you make sure the ball gets through, and then you pick up your third base coach and let him decide for you whether you're going to be trying to score. That's not for you to decide on your own.
0: Yeah. Nats were trying all kinds of things to score on Tuesday night. The Nats on Tuesday night doubled their stolen base total for the season. Two steals for the Nats on Tuesday night, Juan Soto and Cesar Hernandez. So the Nats now have four stolen bases on the season. But bottom line, the Nats offense isn't going to get going until they start hitting for more power and start hitting more extra base hits. And they're just not doing that. And You know, all these singles, like, this is what you get when you're a a station to station team. Like, this isn't the 80s anymore. You got to hit homers, you got to have doubles. The Nats don't have enough of either one of those things right now. The team slugging percentage is at 322 on the season. Hey, guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Get your degree in savings during Window Nation's spring break sale. Get two free windows for every two windows that you buy for as many as you need and make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. Just call 866-90-NATION or visit WindowNation.com. Dot com. As you surely know, we have been having very up and down temperatures lately. With up and down temperatures, it's difficult to stay comfortable in your home with old drafty windows. The longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you waste on your heating and cooling bills. nation has saved customers over $60 million on energy bills. Buy two windows, get two free. Pay nothing for two years. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two full years. Save thousands. These are savings that you'll only see once this year. Window Nation has installed over a million windows and has an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Call 866-90-NATION or visit WindowNation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or visit WindowNation.com. And tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. <music> Now
3: the pitch, swing and a high drive to deep right field. Rincon is going back, nears the fence, looks up of the wall, and it's out of here. Luis Garcia Homers into the home bullpen and right. And it's now eight to three.
0: Well, you mentioned Alcides Escobar, and look, he's not the only national who isn't hitting right now. Nelson Cruz still isn't hitting. Victor Robles obviously isn't hitting. But what is happening with Alcides Escobar is really starting to drive, I think, a lot of us crazy here because there is an obvious replacement who is on fire right now at Triple A. So Alcides Escobar, again, on Tuesday night was an at starting shortstop. He went 0 for 4. His batting average is down to 123 for the season. He has a 194 on base. He's slugging 140. As if the baseball gods are trying to communicate something to us all. Also on Tuesday night was Luis Garcia. Now he was a starting second baseman for A Rochester on Tuesday night. Not a shortstop, but whatever. He can play shortstop. He has been playing a lot of shortstop. Luis Garcia on Tuesday night having another big game for Rochester. 4 for 4 with two home runs, two singles, a walk, four RBI, and three runs. Now, I get it, AAA pitching, understood. But Luis Garcia, who did hit well last September at the Major League level, now has an OPS of 1,020 over 17 games for Rochester this season. We talked about this recently, but do you think we're any closer to the Nats summoning Luis back to the Major League level and at least spelling all CDs, Escobar. I mean, I'm not saying you have to DFA all CDs, but geez, does he have to be your everyday shortstop? Are we trying to challenge the Ripken Ironman streak here? Like, put Garcia out there, and let's see him back at the Major League level.
1: What I can tell you is, if and when it happens, Luis is going to be playing every day. So they're not going to call him up and have him just start a couple times a week to give Escobar the day off. That's not going to be the case. Again, it doesn't mean they would have to DFA him. He could come off the bench, be a utility infielder, which a lot of us thought might have been the case anyways coming into the season. You outlined it there. It's pretty clear the disparity between the two doesn't mean that Luis is going to keep hitting like that if he gets called up. doesn't mean that Alcidi is going to keep hitting 123 if he stays up here playing every day. But on a team that's clearly rebuilding, it's one thing to lose with young kids making mistakes. It's another thing to lose with veterans who are not performing. And in Escobar's case, It's not just the offense. He has been a liability in the field as well. There was another play in this game. It was the final pitch that Josiah Gray threw in the sixth inning, trying to get out of the inning with the score still at three to one. It's a soft line drive, 79 miles an hour off the bat. And Escobar gets to it, but it goes off the glove and he couldn't complete the play. And I thought that was more telling. Davey Martinez said, The big thing for me is his defense. You know, the hitting, you go through stretches like this, especially early in the year. But it's defense, you know, I look at for him to catch, make all the routine plays, catch the balls. When you have a veteran starting shortstop, you're counting on him to make all the plays. And if he's not doing that, then what exactly are you doing to contribute to this. Now, what I'll say about the decision whether or not to call up Garcia, I I was going through this in my own mind throughout the course of the night because I'm having the same thought you and everyone else are having when you see the Garcia stat line and highlights that are coming up. If the Nationals truly believe that Luis Garcia is a big part of their long-term plan and they truly believe that rushing him to get up here could do damage to his chances of making it as a big leaguer, then okay, I can buy that argument that you want to make sure he's got everything down. He's still really young, like he's 21 years old. So it's okay to think that he needs more time, especially in the field, just to get everything down before you bring him up. But if they aren't sure that he is that guy, and I've gotten some sense based on how they've, you know, treated him here in the last year, that maybe they don't think necessarily he's a slam dunk, our shortstop of the future, our second baseman of the future. Then I actually think there's a stronger argument to bring him up because what do you have to lose now? on this team to keep playing him and let him play out the season and see how it goes. And if it doesn't work out, and if somehow it shows that he's not an everyday big leaguer, well, so be it. At least you got to look at it. I kind of feel like that's more where we're at here. If they do truly believe, hey, this guy is our future, then okay, I can understand it for a bit longer. But if not, what are you gaining by leaving him down there and leaving Escobar up here every day playing?
0: Well, the other thing, too, is we saw Luis Garcia at the major league level for an extended period of time last season. If they were so concerned about like him being this delicate little flower and if he struggles at the major league level, what could happen to his psyche? Then what were you doing having him accumulate almost 250 plate appearances at the major league level last season? Like that's what I don't understand. What changed? between last season and this season, especially considering that he did hit relatively well last September. Like, he wasn't great, but he was better. He showed strides. It looked like he was improving. Like, it's odd to me. And like you said with Escobar, he's a road to nowhere. I mean, good job last season, but this isn't a a situation like with Nelson Cruz where you're kind of waiting on the track record to show up, you know, the back of the baseball card to show up. Like, Escobar was a reclamation project. The Nats already have gotten far more out of him than they could have ever reasonably anticipated. So, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe we are like days away now from Luis Garcia being brought back up and maybe he gets brought back up and he struggles. But, you know, for the Nats to be losing right now with the likes of Alcides Escobar out there, it's really aggravating because they're like, this is a waste of time. No one believes that when the Nats get good again, Escobar, Hernandez, Franco are going to be on the team. So it's like, let's see some guys who might still be with the Nats when they end up being good again. Was well, good to see Juan Soto get back to being Juan Soto on Tuesday night. Not that we had many doubts about that. But Soto, remember, yeah. of having gone walkless in the three-game sweep against the San Francisco Giants over the weekend, has himself a double and a couple of walks on Tuesday night. You know, he did have another spot in which he did not come through with a runner in scoring position, though. Bottom of the fifth, Cesar Hernandez was on second. Soto struck out swinging on seven pitches. He's not been productive with runners in scoring position this year. It's a small sample size, I get it. But the double off the left center field wall on the 1-2 pitch in the one-run eighth was good to see. But got to get Nelson Cruz going. Got to fix this Escobar situation. I mean, we don't talk about Robles as much, but, you know, he remains, you know, not in a great place and. When you're scoring less than three runs a game, with the exception of one game, I mean, good luck. <laughs> Whatever the pitching is, good luck trying to win.
1: Yeah, it's just not a formula for success. Not the way this team was built and the way that we have expected it to go all along. Yeah, they need Nelson Cruz to do something. And right now he's doing very little. And I can understand, like we talked about the other day, why Soto maybe is struggling a little bit. If you don't have a lot of faith in the guy behind you, you start trying to do too much. Yourself, And that may have happened in that at bat there with the uh, two outs and runner in scoring position, you know, gets called on a check swing. We saw a lot, we have seen a lot of Juan taking a pitch, thinking it's ball four, taking a few steps down the line, getting called back because the umpire actually called it a strike. You know, in this case, believing that he had just drawn a walk and it turns out it was called a check swing on him and him acting like, really surprised by it. He's a little out of sync. I don't think there's any question about that. Now, the double in the eighth inning, that was classic Juan Soto, 107 miles an hour off the bat to left center field. He hit that on a rope. That's good. He drew the two walks after not drawing any walks in the previous series. So, that's all good. You know, he's going to be fine long run, but he's got to have somebody around him producing. And at the moment, he doesn't have that. And that's a real problem for them. <music>
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
3: So Gray again, on the break of 10Ks. The 1-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. 94 on the fastball to the outside. And Josiah Gray
0: strikes out 10, matching his career high. So the Nats starting pitcher on Tuesday night was Josiah Gray. And, you know, there's not necessarily a ton right now to look forward to with the Nats. But I do very much look forward to these Josiah Gray starts because they matter. They matter more than other Nats games, to be quite honest with you right now, because he's a real potential building block for the future here. If he pans out, That is huge for this Nats rebuild. And how you view Josiah Gray's outing on Tuesday night maybe says a lot about you, right? Are you a glass half full person or a glass half empty person? So if you are the latter, if you are a pessimist, you say, well, Josiah Gray on Tuesday night gave up four runs in five and two thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, a three run homer, two doubles and four singles. He issued three walks. He threw 98 pitches over his five and two thirds innings. But if you are an optimist, you say, well... Josiah Gray began his outing with three scoreless innings with five strikeouts. Josiah Gray's final line was harmed by that aforementioned Alcides Escobar defensive boo-boo on which Alcides failed in his attempt at a leaping backhanded catch of a Jacob Stallings line drive on what ended up being a two-out RBI single by Stallings in a one-run six inning for the Marlins. The one-two.
3: Swing and a soft line drive. Off the glove of the lunging shortstop Escobar. Rounding third, Cooper coming home. The throw home is cut off by Gray.
0: And Josiah Gray continued to emerge as a true strikeout pitcher. Josiah Gray on Tuesday night, 10 strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings. Josiah Gray now this season has 28 strikeouts in just 20 innings of work. He's averaging strikeouts per nine innings. Now, I know that the strikeouts help to drive up the pitch count, but more and more as the Josiah Gray sample size grows, he really is starting to solidify himself as a very legitimate strikeout starting pitcher in Major League Baseball, swing and miss stuff. I think this is really encouraging what we're seeing here. So I know it wasn't all good from Josiah Gray, but to me, there were actually quite a few things to be encouraged about here.
1: I'm taking the glass half full on this one. I'm taking glass three quarters full on this one. I thought this had the makings of being a really good start for him. And then it was derailed a little bit by the one inning that got away from him. And this has been, you know, a recurring issue for him. The home run, letting one inning kind of define the start in a bad way. So, yes, those are things that he has to get better at and correct. But I think it's a lot easier to correct that than it is to suddenly become the pitcher that he was in every other inning in this game like you said all the strikeouts he was pounding the strike zone first time through the lineup 28 of his first 34 pitches were strikes i mean that's phenomenal and that's fastball command number one but he also and he admitted this is probably the best he's been at this since he came up last year he had both the slider and the curveball working really well and he was throwing them a lot he throws the slider to righties for the most part, in the curveball to lefties. And he was really effective at both of them. All of his first five strikeouts were on breaking balls. And I think in the end, maybe all but two of his 10 strikeouts were on breaking balls. So when he's really on, he's got that ability and can do it to guys from both sides of the plate. So I was really encouraged by it. Yes, you do have the brief little meltdown there in the fourth that's capped by the three-run homer. But as you mature, as you start to learn hitters more, as you start to learn how not to take any single pitch off in the course of a start, you're going to correct that. I think that is an area that with time he's going to get better at. The other stuff, you can't teach that. You can't suddenly figure that stuff out. So I am actually really encouraged by this one. The final line to me does not at all convey just how good he was on this night.
0: Yeah, it's an example of how you know ERA isn't the end all be all because Tuesday night was not a good night for Josiah Gray's ERA, but there was a lot more to the outing than just the four runs in the five and two thirds innings. Things did come apart for him to an extent in that top of the fourth. He gives up three runs, lead off five pitch walk of Jesus Sanchez, gives up a one out opposite field single to Garrett Cooper to right field. And then the big blow. And this really was the big boo-boo for Gray in this game, giving up a one-out first pitch, three-run homer to Joey Wendell, who was celebrating a birthday, by the way, for a 3 nothing Moreland's lead. And the homer was some shot per Statcast, winner projected 410 feet. And then Gray gave up a one-out double to Brian Anderson to left field. So you were concerned at that point, but he was able to get out of that inning and then, you know, ended up pitching there into the sixth inning. Do you know, you know, it's a basic thing, right, to value strikeouts these days. Do the Nats internally value strikeouts as much as many other people do? Like, are the Nats going to look at 28 strikeouts in 20 innings for Josiah Gray and be floored? Or is it more like, well, that's only part of the puzzle?
1: No, I think they very much like it from guys who are capable of doing it. I think they also, though, when it comes to guys who don't have that ability, they do still try to preach the pitch-to-contact mode. You know, Josh Rogers is not somebody they're counting on or think should be going after strikeouts. He should be going for quick outs, put the ball in play. A guy like Josiah Gray, when you have that breaking ball combo, yeah, I think they're perfectly fine with it. And, you know, who are their two biggest starters of the last decade, Steven Strasburg and Max Scherzer, they're strikeout pitchers. So yes, of course, they prefer that. Now, like you said, that can sometimes raise a pitch count a little bit. And I know they would love for him to be a little more efficient there. So there are things he can do as he gains some experience here to to get better at it. And they'll start to push the envelope a little bit more. He almost got to 100 pitches before they pulled the plug there on him. So he'll get there. But yeah, if you have a starting pitcher who has the ability to strike out batters at that rate, they have, of course. They love that. That's what's gonna make him in theory a, you know, number two starter in his career, not just a number four starter.
0: Yeah, I think it's really hard to be a great starting pitcher and not be a strikeout pitcher. It's not impossible. Guys do do it. But by and large, if you're not averaging, say, a strikeout per inning, I think it's tough to have sustained success because you are inevitably going to fall prey to the variance of the batted ball. And it's like if you're pitching to contact, contact can get weird and balls take bounces and fielders screw up. And, you know, you can end up allowing more runs than maybe you should, like we saw with that Jacob Stallings hit. So if you look at Josiah Gray now this season, he's made four starts. If you count what he did on Tuesday night as a good start, then he's been good in each of his last three starts. His worst start really was his first start, giving up four runs and four innings in that 7-3 loss to the New York Mets at Nationals Park on April 8th. His other outings, 3-1 win, At the Atlanta Braves on April 13th, five scoreless innings, five strikeouts, 6-1 win over the Arizona Diamondbacks in Nationals Park in game one of the doubleheader sweep now two Tuesdays ago. One run in five and a third innings, eight strikeouts, and now this outing on Tuesday night. So three out of four is good. You'll take that, especially when the three are in succession and are your most three recent starts. So keep building on this. Keep it going. And uh, let's see what happens here. In terms of the Nats' bullpen on Tuesday night, uh, four relievers were used in this game. The four relievers were good, combined to allow one run and unearned run in three into third innings. We had another instance of Davies' first reliever not pitching for very long. Austin Voth relieved Josiah Gray in the top of the six, got Jazz Chisholm Jr. to pop out to Josh Bell. And then that was it. That seems to be kind of a consistent thing here with Davies this year. He'll bring in a reliever, for the first appearance for the bullpen in the game. It's a guy who you say to yourself, okay, this guy could end up going an inning plus, and then the guy is out of there sooner rather than later. It's kind of quirky how that keeps happening.
1: Yeah. So I actually asked him a little bit about this pregame, and specifically with our boy Paolo Espino, because we noted the other day that his usage has been a little bit odd, that he's sort of become the last guy at the end of the bullpen to pitch Instead of maybe the guy who comes in to replace a starter who can't get out of, say, the fourth inning and might be able to give you multiple innings. And in this case, you know, Austin Voth is somebody who you think typically would maybe go multiple innings. So why not leave him in there? And the answer was kind of interesting. He made it sound like they're still using, certainly for the next week or so, this as a little bit of an evaluation period to see what they have from some of these relievers, see who can pitch in high leverage spots, who can get out of jams, things like that. Because come May 2nd, they have to reduce the roster by two, and that's going to be two relievers. And they have some decisions to make. And I thought it was interesting because I think by the time we get to May, you're going to start seeing him maybe use the bullpen differently. And let's say Josh Rogers is in the bullpen and you have Paolo Espino and maybe Austin Voth. I think those are the guys... Who you are gonna see pitch the middle innings and try to bridge the gap from a starter who maybe doesn't go deep to the late inning guys. Right now, they're kind of doing it in reverse, almost as a way to find out who can handle big spots against tough hitters in the middle of a game, because that may determine whether they're still here a week from now or not. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting, and we'll have to wait a little while till we see how this all plays out. But it seems like they are definitely in evaluation mode with a bunch of these relievers. Who are on the chopping block potentially for making the team or not making the team a week from now?
0: It feels that way because you are seeing a lot of the JV guys. Now, I know at least a good bit of that is a function of the Nats losing so much lately, right? Six consecutive losses. But the four relievers who pitched on Tuesday night were Austin Voth, Victor Arano, Andres Machado, and Erasmo Ramirez. Victor Arano now has made a pitching staff high 10 appearances for the Nats this season. For comparison's sake, Tanner Rainey. Who, you know, certainly appears to be the Nats' closer, in theory, their ace reliever. He's pitched in five games this season. Arano has double the appearances that Rainey has. Now, again, I get it, right? The Nats have been losing a lot more then they've been winning. But, you know, you take a step back, right? You want to use your best relievers as often as you can, right? In theory, you want to use a Rainey more than an Arano. I think what you just said perhaps helps explain why we've seen so little of Tanner Rainey and seen so much of a Victor Arano.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think there's also, you know, an understanding with Rainey and Finnegan, who has also pitched pretty well and are kind of your late-inning top options right now, that you know they're going to be here all year. So you need to make sure they stay fresh and you don't want to burn them out right now, pitching in a lot of games, especially when you're trailing in them. Maybe as the bullpen decreases in numbers, you'll start to see that. Ideally, they're ahead or tied or maybe down one run, and that gives them more reason to use them in some of these games. But for now, I think it's a product of what the scores have been and wanting to evaluate some of those lesser known guys and maybe trying to save their more established or, you know, obvious late-inning arms for the remainder of the season, knowing that they're going to have to start relying on them a lot here pretty soon.
0: All right, so game two for the Nats against the Marlins at Nationals Park is Wednesday night at 7.05. Eric Fetty will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game three for the Nats against the Marlins at Nationals Park is on Thursday afternoon at one o five. and the Nats still have not officially announced a starting pitcher for that game. Now, In theory, that person would be Patrick Corbin. And I know that there are signs that Corbin, in fact, will be making that start. But it is interesting that the Nats have not yet announced Corbin as a starter for that game. What do you think is going on here? So he
1: did throw a bullpen session before the game here on Tuesday. That is what you would typically do a couple days before you make a start. But Davey did say that it hasn't been set in stone yet. He wanted to talk to Jim Hickey, find out how that session went, what they were working on. Before they announce anything, I'm not sure what the alternative is. (laughs) The only other thing you could do is maybe try to give Corbin a few extra days. You know, they do have six starters in theory at the moment. So maybe if Josh Rogers isn't needed out of the bullpen, he wasn't on Tuesday. If he's not needed on Wednesday, in theory, he could start. Thursday if they wanted to do that and give Corbin more time. I suppose that's a possibility of what they're considering here. But my hunch is that Corbin is getting the start. I don't think reading between the lines that they're ready to make a move there that would have more long lasting ramifications. If anything, it would maybe be a way to give him a few more days. But to be honest, if you're trying to get the best out of Patrick Corbin and and figure out what in the world are we going to do with him, I think a Thursday afternoon start against the Marlins is a better situation for him than waiting till the weekend in uh, San Francisco or waiting even beyond that to Colorado at Coors Field or really waiting all the way until Anaheim and now you're facing Otani and Trout. I don't know that that's really the way to go. Now, he you know, may pitch one of those games along the way anyways when it turns comes up again. But if you're looking for a bounce back start and a chance to make him feel better about himself, I would think Thursday afternoon against the Marlins is your best bet.
0: Yeah, I mean, and we've seen this from some Nats pitchers, right? Eric Fetty dominates the Marlins. The problem is you can't face the Marlins 33 times per season. If you could, Eric Fetty would be Cy Young. But unfortunately, that's not how these things go. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Corbin, as we discussed, got booed like crazy this past Friday night. When you have the dozens in attendance Thursday afternoon against the Marlins, getting booed probably isn't so much of a worry. But this does strike me as something new in this Patrick Corbin saga. Like we discussed, Friday night felt different because he was so bad, because he got booed, and just because I think at this point so many people are just kind of like sick and tired of being sick and tired with this situation. Has this happened previously during Corbin's struggles these last few years, that he has had a start potentially pushed back, or that we've had these little games being played of, well, maybe he'll start, but we're not going to tell you right now if he's going to start. Like This feels like, look, he's not being taken out of the rotation, right? But this feels different because I, I don't recall this having happened with them not committing to him making that next start.
1: Yeah, I don't remember that happening at any point the last two years, unless there was maybe a, you know, he didn't feel right physically. So we needed to give him a couple days, something like that. No, not for performance based reasons. He's always taking the ball for them every fifth day. And I do think that's where this is going here. But you're right. That last start felt like a potential turning point, maybe not the final turning point but it had to at least put in the minds of some decision-makers here. Do we really want to continue with this as we've been doing it, or is it time to consider whether we need to make a change there? Again, I don't think they're there yet. You know, maybe it had something to do, in this case, of the weather on Tuesday. If this had been a rainout, and maybe they could have gotten away with skipping his start altogether, and it wouldn't have been a problem. Maybe it was that, but obviously they played the game with no interruption, so that's not going to be an issue. I don't know what to make of it other than... I think he's probably starting Thursday, but they want to make sure of a few things before deciding that for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, you wonder this bad in 2020, bad last season, bad so far this season. Are the Nats willing to go through another full season of bad with Corbin, or have they decided internally what happened last season we're not allowing to happen this season? Like, if he's going to be really bad again, We're not just going to keep putting him out there like something has to be different. And that's what I wonder about. Like, are they going to allow him to make 30 plus starts if he stays healthy but is bad? Or are they going to draw a line at some point this season? And we'll see. But that's being tested early with an ERA over 11 over his first four starts of the season. Will you tell us what you think? You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email us. At the Nats Chat Podcast, the email address is natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the podcast, contact Tim Shovers at natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. Our new red Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt is out. You can get a t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals Radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of of 1067, the fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Natch Chat Podcast. We continue to enjoy hearing your tales of first experiences at Major League Baseball games. And so we will leave you with this voice memo from Marty in North Bethesda.
4: Hi, this is Marty from North Bethesda, Maryland. My first baseball game was in 1957 at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. The Dodgers were playing the St. Louis Cardinals. We were really enjoying the experience until about the fourth inning, when my brother suddenly contracted red eye. His eyes were tearing and he was in great pain. My father decided we needed to leave immediately, to my great objection. I refused to leave, but he dragged me to the exit, which was close to the Dodger dugout and the on-deck circle. Jim Gilliam was on deck, and he heard my screaming and yelling, turned around, and shouted to my father, leave the kid alone. Suddenly the fans around the dugout started cheering for me in support to no avail as we exited the field. Although I was very upset, I continued to be a baseball fan and uh, to this day where I'm uh, a huge uh, Nats fan. Love the podcast. Thanks very much. Really? Feels like Tuesday. (laughs) Tuesday has no feel. Monday has a feel. Friday has a feel. Sunday has a feel. I feel
0: Tuesday and Wednesday. All right, shut up the both of you.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.